Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of DevOps Unbound. DevOps Unbound is a bi-weekly video series uh, that explores you know, all aspects of DevOps. We've been doing this for over a year now and it, it, it amazes me the, the breadth and depth of DevOps topics that we've had a chance to dive into here on DevOps Unbound. The show is sponsored by our good friends at Tricentis who have been our partners in bringing DevOps Unbound to you now, as I said, for more than a year, and have really, I mean, in every sense of the word, partnered with us to really explore, you know, go where no man or woman has gone before in DevOps and really kind of look at things and, and take them apart. So um, many thanks to them for sponsoring. Welcome to our show. You know, we have two sort of formats for DevOps Unbound. The every other show, every other week show is, is about 40, 45 minutes of a pre-recorded conversation with a panel of experts. And then around once a month, we do do a live roundtable of DevOps Unbound in which the stars of the show are you, our audience, and you're invited to come on, participate in the conversation, ask questions, comment, chat with each other. And, and it's just a, it's just a, you know, when it goes right, it's a, it's a rip roaring conversation of a thousand different directions, but it's a fantastic experience. I invite you to, I think the next one might be around March 15th or something, but check it out. We'll, we'll get the dates for you, but I do invite you to come to our next live roundtable as well. Anyway, Let's get on with today's show, though. Today's show is about DevOps and compliance synergy, reality or fiction. I have some thoughts on this, but before we do, let me introduce you to today's all-star panel. On my screen, he's on the top left. I don't know where he is on your screen. It's my friend Tim Johnson from CloudBees. Tim, why don't you introduce yourself? No, thanks, Owen, and thanks for having me here. Yeah, uh, as you said, Tim Johnson, I'm in product marketing at CloudBees. Um, I've been in uh, DevOps since about 2016 and, and a whole lot of years of security prior to that. So happy to be here. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for being here. Next up, I want to introduce you to Anna Murray. Anna, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to the audience. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me here. My name is Anna Murray, and I work for Rocket Software, recent acquisition through ASG Technologies, if you've seen me before. Um, I've spent my career in automation. So at this point, I'm a product manager for automation technologies with Rocket Software, and I've taken teams from waterfall product man project management through uh, agile transformations, and agile has grown to DevOps, and I'm passionate about automation when it comes to all of that. Fantastic, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Next up, I want to introduce you to one of my colleagues, Dan Kirsch. Dan, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself, telling people a little bit about you. Thanks, Alan. I'm a managing director and one of the principal analysts and co-founder of TechStrong Research. And as a recovering attorney, compliance is certainly an issue that I am uh, is near and dear to me. Absolutely. Our uh, next panel member is, we're very happy to have her, Sonia Lawrence. Sonia, welcome. And maybe if you could introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Thank you, Alan. Hi, I'm Sonia Lawrence. I'm the head of compliance at Tricentis. And I have been in this role and working closely with DevOps actually in a couple of roles now since 2018. And before that, I'm a program manager heavily embedded with integrations and cloud operations for 
for about 15 years. So I'm also very passionate about how to bring this to the dev team and streamline DevOps. So looking forward to it. Excellent. Last but not least, my co-host for DevOps Unbound and business partner associate for 20 years, Mitch Ashley. Mitchell, if you wouldn't mind saying a little bit. Yeah, Alan, what a great panel. I'm excited to hear everybody chat about this topic. And I'm CTO with Textron Group and also work with Dan as part of Textron Research. So looking forward to us diving in. Absolutely. And thank you, Mitchell. All right. So guys, this, this episode is a DevOps and Compliance Synergy, Reality or Fiction. Let me start it off with this. You know, my background is in cybersecurity. 20 plus years, Mitchell and I have worked together in it. Tim, you've been in cyber a long time too. Um, I, I'll be right, really honest with you. One of the most hate, my, one of my most hated subjects or aspects of security was comp is compliance. I think compliance has done as much to hurt security as it's done as much to help security. It's introduced this least common denominator, lowest possible bar for security, where instead of doing what we should be doing we're doing what the minimal needs are checking it off check that box and we move on and then we act surprised when when stuff hits the fan now i started devops.com because i thought devops was a godsend for security finally a chance to get it right not to be bolted on to be built in and and where security goes compliance follows right keeping that low bar here and you know the 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 promise of devops as especially with compliance even more so than security was my god we could automate this right if we could just automate the compliance we don't have to worry about it anymore and we could focus on really making secure software because compliance becomes all sort of a byproduct of security automation and devops now, as we sit here today, we know that that hasn't necessarily been the outcome. <laughs> Let's leave it at that. Uh, maybe, this, maybe it has been to some of you. I'm, I'm interested to hear. Don't let me bully you. Um, has, has DevOps been a good friend to, to compliance? Or, you know, are we still, are we barking up the wrong tree? Are we chasing our tail? You know, I don't know how many dog analogies I could come up with here, but you know, what what is the deal with compliance and DevOps? Who who wants to start us off? Go, oh, I'll I jump in, Alan. You know, go. <laughs> you crack me up. I mean, you know, we've been hearing that for for forever, and the uh, the the dichotomies that we have to deal with. Can you be compliant and fast? Can you be predictable and flexible? It's like, yeah, come on, knock it off. You know, it isn't like that. But the, you know, the way we're seeing it is DevOps is kind of going through this evolution of, can we just automate the pipeline or can we get the CI part to work? And then can we automate the testing part? And, you know, so it's kind of evolutionary and security has kind of come along. Yeah, I think about 2017, John Wallace, we did a, a webinar with him where he was talking about DevSecOps and saying that, you know, the sec should be silent because if you're doing it right, the security is there. And now we're coming to the next evolution, the next source of friction, if you will, is compliance because, okay, we're going fast, we're going secure. Somebody says, can you prove that to the regulators? Yeah. 
right? And w- the way we see it is we, we have bank customer of ours has 100 people devoted full-time on a 90-day rotating basis to doing compliance work. And Sounds automated to me. companies are doing. <laughs> so that's kind of a state of where we are. And from, from where I am, I am, if you can't do an audit easily, you ain't running DevOps. You ain't doing DevOps right in the first place, right? So if you are compliant and you can prove it to the regulators, you're doing DevOps really well. That's my opening salvo. Back to you. All right. I know someone else wanted to say something. Yeah, I'm very passionate about this, definitely at Tricentis, but honestly, just anywhere. I feel like it's kind of a, a two-part answer right now. I think I'm finding more compliance you know, people in my space who understand that. And again, I come from a heavily regulated background. So for me, it's very native to say compliance isn't an afterthought. If you look at it the right way, even though it may be a low bar, it's an input. It's a set of basic requirements that if you can accommodate that upfront, there are very few surprises. And I would even extend on that and say, in the world that we're moving to in DevOps and better automated tools, where your CI/CD pipeline takes all of this into account, both for your code and your cloud environment, I really feel like it's going to start to deliver inherently secure code and infrastructure. It's just that that vision and the tools are a bit lagging, right? I don't see that there are really any surprises couple of example frameworks, SOC 2 Type 2, ISO 2701, the objectives are clear. If you wrap that in at the beginning as a requirement, then there are very few people who, one, don't get trained as they go, and two, can't deliver it because it actually is not that hard or complex to deliver technically. So I think that part of what we're seeing is, and this is in part to me, like having been a program manager for years, Agile took and pared it down to a very lean perspective of we're looking at features first, customer needs, and typically things like encryption and administration of users was kind of an afterthought, and it's not built into the traditional Agile tools. I think that along with what Tricentis is delivering for quality, many companies are starting to respond with respect to compliance and security and putting it back at the front where I think it belongs. Because again, this is not technically difficult. It's the fact that it's basically not built into the current CICD tools that makes it challenging, I think, for developing teams and infrastructure teams. Yeah, and I think what Sonia said made a lot of sense. It's also, you know, when we talk about DevOps, we talk a lot about culture change and changes in process mm-hmm. as much as technology. So, you know, if if the dev team is just go, 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 what, what new features have you added today? You know, they're never going to think about compliance. But if they're, if the development team feels that they have a working relationship with a compliance team and they're working together, they understand what the compliance team needs and why they need it, not just, oh, it's a checkbox, but you know it's important and it's important for more than just our auditor to look at. Um, you know, that, that, that sort of merging together of you know, collaboration between DevOps and compliance is an important aspect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think part of that is some of the some of the evolution that we're seeing and thinking for at least from the dev side is is a maturing from my co- a bug is is a bug but it's matured into a security vulnerability is a bug and non-compliance is now starting to be thought of as a bug and there really aren't too many developers out there who aren't passionate about writing bugless code right so but the challenge is, what is compliant? 
you know, and, and how many standards do you have to adhere to and how many different and how does that translate into all the different environments, all the, all the you know, the runtime environments, the binaries, the code, the access and the data that you're dealing with? How do you translate all those mumbo jumbo from those regulatory standards down into being compliant with this piece of code that you're writing? That That's the big that's a big challenge. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. But I'm and and especially like to that point, when I am evaluating alongside our dev teams and our product teams, tools that help augment and fill these gaps, I'm definitely very, very aware and making sure we're starting from the right baselines. There are, you know, baselines that if you work from it is kind of that magic decoder ring to all the different frameworks you need to apply going forward from a compliance standpoint. And once that's in place, again, it just streamlines all of this for all of the teams. So it's a really important consideration in tool selection. And now, you know, I'm going to finally jump into the fray here, but, um, you know, I think that's also been part of the challenge that we've seen among uh, people we're talking to is that there are so many tools um, in place. How do you get that report so you can see what's happened and so you can reply to your auditors? And so we've really been talking to people a lot more about making sure that you have a plan that surrounds all of this, because not only do you have a lot of tools, you might be replacing one or two of them every year because there's better technology. And so you need good planned workflows that are going to work for you no matter what tools you plug and play into that workflow. And it, it's not an easy answer to get from here to there. And as somebody said, it is a journey for every company. And so it really does behoove the leadership to make that culture change as Dan talked about. But it isn't just about adopting DevOps. It's about having an end-to-end -end plan for making sure that you're delivering that value on a consistent basis as things change around us all the time. Agreed. You know, to me, there's... I'm going to be just the devil's advocate today. I'm sorry. But I, I almost hear us saying, hey, you know what's great about this DevOps thing? We're going to make compliance the developer's problem, not the security person's <laughs> problem. Right? The, I, the developers, hey, they're well paid. What the heck? But they have enough on their plate. I don't need my developer necessarily to be my tester, as I think the folks at Tricentis will clearly tell you. I don't need my developer to be my security person. I need them to be security conscious, security aware, right? But I don't need them necessarily to be a compliance expert. So therefore, if we can't develop the tools that can automate compliance as almost a byproduct of the process, and instead throw it onto the shoulders You'll put another straw on the camel's back of the developer. I don't know if it's successful, if it can be successful. Yeah, Damn agreed, it. agreed. You know, the, 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 the shift security left thing just really bugs the bejeebers out of me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, on a couple of levels. One, like you talked about, Alan, just the burden that it put, puts on the developers to know more stuff, right? And, but... There's also kind of the implication that if we do it all, shift it all to the left, all, this, all the rest of the stuff to the right of that magically takes care of itself. Well, you know, there, you, 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 environments can get, be changed, uh, credentials can be mucked about mm -hmm. with and stuff once the process has started. So there, there's two levels. Your, your pipeline 
defined pipeline should have that level of, of governance and guardrails and gates and everything else that goes along. But you still beyond that have to look at all the other moving parts around there and attest that everybody did what they what they're supposed to do. Because at the end of the day, it's it's folks like like Sonia or maybe Sonia's boss who have mm -hmm. to sign the paper that said, you mm -hmm. know, yay, verily, this meets our risk uh, profile and we can go forward. Yeah. Right? Somebody well, has, that, that still has to be a separate thing. But you need that visibility outside of the pipeline itself to, to be able to see and, and, and control that. Yeah, and I, to speak to that, I feel like, again, I'm going to come back to the people aspect of this challenge. One of my biggest partners in any company that I work at, especially when you start looking at the program and platform level, future state, making this inherent in design, are architects, or I know that that's not a role that's very frequently filled at smaller companies, the group or team of leaders in the, in the engineering org that fill that role of architect, if I can work with the architects up front, again, it becomes inherent in, the, in design. I agree, Alan. I do think it's exorbitantly way too much data or knowledge for one engineer to consume. But if you can plan you know, your builds for you know, containers or images and, and get things like that in place with the right team leads, a lot of this comes together as an effect where they're working with then a very specific, still flexible, you can still achieve the future and, and growth with customers that you need, but at least the infrastructure around them is, is really secure. And just like a quick data point that I have, because I've been through, I think, two or three SOC, but I've looked at like the secure control framework, you know, 70 to 75% of SOC 2 audits are about the infrastructure controls. It actually doesn't directly deal with the code that the developers are producing for the actual app. And I feel like within the industry, if that understanding were like more common and the DevOps team were really supported and they had the right tools for secure builds and really making sure they could see things before going to production that were insecure at that layer around the perimeter and with user access, I feel like most of these issues around certification and compliance, there are baselines would actually be met more consistently. So I feel like there's also kind of a challenge right now of a lot of people look at those product engineers as that's the source, like those are the people with the root cause answer. They're the ones coding the, the solution, but the truth is it's your infrastructure team in the cloud. Um, and that's really something that I've seen on-prem is a little bit different, but it's still the same statement. You still got networks and IP and ports and perimeters to control. So I just feel like the infrastructure piece of this is typically left out. And then it becomes, unfortunately for many companies, the tech debt when they start looking. <laughs> and I've coined this phrase recently, I'm calling it, it's not a moment of realization, it's becoming a moment of terror. Because when you do get the right tools in, you can see it, everyone steps back and says, I had no idea this is what we had built. And it takes a lot of fortitude to walk through that that backlog, that tech debt. Good Anybody want to comment on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I have the same feeling that you do, Alan, about uh, you know DevSecOps, and and we're going to have these uh, amazing. I mean, there are a lot of amazing developers, but developers who know everything there is about security, everything there is about operations, everything there is now about compliance. It's not realistic. So instead, part of it is, I think, building uh, guardrails. So I'm sure um, Sonia is working on that. You know, what, what sort of data are you going to allow your developers to um, put into the cloud, for instance? Because at the end of the day, we're talking about data um, oftentimes in terms of compliance. So what kind of data are you going to allow into the cloud or out of a certain region? 
when, when you're testing applications, are you going to allow the testers to see all of the data? Probably, probably not. I don't think you want them to see all your production data. What sort of role-based controls do you have in place? So setting those foundational guardrails, I think, are is really important to keep to keep the whole DevOps process uh, clean and, and compliant. Okay. Yeah, I, I would take that a little bit further sorry. back to first principles of the, um, and this gets into culture, this gets into cooperation, this gets into silos, this gets into doing it all right, is starting with a description. Can you describe your software delivery process? Right? If you want to call it a value stream mapping exercise, call it that. But you get everybody in the room to describe how the software moves through the system, then agree that's how it's done, and then agree on how to measure that. And then the final piece of the puzzle that I see overlooked way too often is that everybody's compensation plans or bonus structures or measurements have to be aligned on that description of what that is. Because I've seen, um, I've seen companies where the the three different groups are we're 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 all in on DevOps, but the engineers are doing things differently, and the security folks are doing differently, and the DevOps teams are doing differently because they're measured differently. They agree in principle to doing DevOps, but because they're compensated this way and they're measured over here by something else and so, something else, they're never going to be as successful as they are. So if, if you want to make this, this whole process as friction-free as possible, get everybody to agree. And, and one of the things we've always seen in these value, value stream mapping exercises is somebody says, and this happens, and then somebody else immediately jumps in and says, actually, no, that's not how it works, right? And sure. you have to get those out of the way because that's going to yeah, it come back to compliance. Well, it doesn't work that way. Well, then how can we be compliant? So forth. And Anna, I think you want to jump in and jump in on there. There's so many things to talk about, but when you when you guys talked, you know, first Dan and then you, it, it comes back to culture. It comes back to leadership. It, and I, I think it reminds me of when we were making our transition from waterfall to agile. It's this go faster, go faster, go faster. And there's more um, emphasis on more faster. Go faster, go faster. Stop. Wait, slow down. We, we actually go slower if we don't do the right planning. And so there's, there's absolute proof that if you plan well, you will actually go faster. And part of that planning must include your security and your compliance. The plan is to, you know, you go back to your agile definition of done. This is done when, and part of the when is your security rules. It will pass these tests. It will go through these scanning tools. It will, whatever your definition of done is, that's how you make DevOps help you with compliance is you first start with the right plan. And, and that only happens if you have cultural leadership. And like Tim said, you get everybody in the room and you agree. And, and so it's a, it is a big challenge. And I think more than anything, it comes back to leadership because the people who build software love building software. They love writing code. They love delivering bug-free software. That's how they get their, their 
value, right, for themselves of what I do every day in my life. If I deliver code that gets hacked, that puts my company on the news, um, I'm not very happy with myself. So when you think about it, leadership can put things in place and help teams go where they need to go while putting the guardrails in. But if the leaders are not on board, you end up with this fracturing that Tim's describing. Well, so to me, what we're describing here, though, is quality, right? No one, no one wants to produce shoddy work, whether it's secure, insecure, compliant, incompliant. It's really, we've always strove in, in, in security to make security synonymous with quality, right? If you're, if you're delivering a quality product, and whether that's software or a, a guitar or, or whatever it is you're selling, you want it to, you want to deliver quality. For many, and I'm going to put forth this, for many developers and even testers, quite frankly, and folks, other folks in the C, you know, the software development life cycle, security and, and certainly compliance are not quite synonymous with quality, right? Security is other to them and, and compliance is other's little brother, right? But it's not quality. It's not quality. And and I think that, again, that's one of the promises of DevOps is making that quality. Uh, I'll throw just something else out here because it's at the heart of DevOps and, and kind of this whole way of looking at things. Infrastructure is code. You know, Sonia, you made an excellent point that if you set your infrastructure up right, compliance almost does become automated and easy, right? Because so much of your compliance is based on that infrastructure. But in a world where infrastructure is code, is code, not as code, is code, right? That can be changed, that can be duplicated, that can be cloned. I mean, that was, you know, when I first started DevOps.com, Puppet and Chef ruled the, Britannia ruled the waves, right? Because you can create that same instance over and over, that same configuration, that gold config, right? That was rigid, was secure, gave me compliance. That was one of the big benefits here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I feel like that's why it ties back in now, like at this point in the conversation, naturally to a tenant of, of privacy that's now becoming more and more standard in many countries, it's security by design is the expectation, right? In the world of cloud, some of that challenges, you've got a lot of options and not everyone understands on that front how to build it securely. Like there are still a lot of base designs out there that don't necessarily have the configuration controls that maybe they could or should, you know, that's debatable. But I feel like that's some of the challenge here is there's a, there's a huge explosion of growth in cloud environments and the engineers who understand the secure tenants, architects who know how to build it consistently to those standards are lagging a bit, right? They're learning too as we go. <laughs> so I feel like, again, it's why the, these tools and, and going back to the understanding that if you were to look at that, that process, like you mentioned, Tim, like it's really important to understand the SDLC. And I recently did this just for a deck, a very simple, you know, here's how many times you have to touch code or infrastructure if you put this up at the front in a, in a beautiful DevSecOps in environment and approach. It's one handoff, and then your, your security team ideally is watching for vulnerabilities. But the truth is, 
I think most companies end up touching code or infrastructure up to 10 to 12 times before they see the vulnerabilities to deal with them. So I feel like the more we can find the right tools to actually put this up front or working with the architects or leads to like really build out that future state environment and, and build these automation points, um, we will continue to see this challenge. And it is very, very challenging for any one developer to account for all of that. These are many layers of expertise that we're, that we're touching on today. Yeah, one of the things, Ellen, I, I saw a statistic last week, and I apologize, I can't remember the source, but, you know, to your comment about infrastructure as code and repeatability, and we can get into the concept of immutable objects and, you know, the, the pipeline and all that other stuff, there, there, there is a potential fallacy or vulnerability there because, yes, you are starting with that. You're using this, this approved component, and it's repeatable. But the statistics said that only half of the controls from a regulatory standpoint actually covered um, infrastructure's code. So there were there were other things that were happening that your your IAC solution or or methodology or, or component wasn't going to see, right? So that's okay. You started well. Did you continue well? And did you end well? Is kind of the 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 thing that you have to kind of keep along and keep in mind as you as you go through that. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> Mitchell, you've been you've been letting people talk today. I'm interested in your thoughts. Absolutely got a great panel. You know, I was just thinking about several things. One of the things Anna said was talking about culture and leadership. And uh I've I've learned the hard way you can't automation does not fix culture. <laughs> One of the you can't automate things. culture? No, I mean, automation doesn't solve your culture problem. And uh, one of the hardest things to do is try to automate in silo, across silos. That's mm -hmm. nearly impossible. You end up with a mess. And, and so I think we, we kind of have to shed a little bit of the paradigms of thinking of these as fixed objects. Compliance is not fixed. It's constantly changing more quickly. Tim and I know this from some of our research together. We're DevOps is, you know, speeding up things, Agile speeding up things. We're changing our tool chain. So it's almost like instead of thinking out about we're building a highway, it's like we're trying to do compliance for something that's constantly in motion, that is flowing by like a river. And so we have to be really good at things like understanding the changes that are happening and understanding the data that might be helpful. Maybe it's not the panacea that solves all of our problems, but the data that we're already throwing off or can capture as part of our software development process and understanding that tool changes and lots of thing configurations are going to change that, whether it's infrastructure's code or, you know, we, we plug in a different tool and that's kind of the mindset we need to adopt, you know, across whether it's compliance, security, or, DevOps and software. Yeah, might very well be. Um, let me let me defend the the common man developer, common man or woman developer. As a security person, I, I fancy myself a security person. I am bewildered and befuddled by the amount of compliance regulations that are out there depending where I am, who I'm talking to, and what I'm doing. How, how can we honestly, earnestly expect 
the developer to to untangle this mess. You know, I'm, I'm reminded when politicians hold up those big, these are the regulations we cut this year, and they slam down this big fat book of regulations that they, they you know, the regulations never go away. How is a developer supposed to make heads or tails of this, though? Or maybe they shouldn't, and that's DevOps' job. Yeah, I mean, that's really the job of different different tools and platforms. You sort of have to codify those compliance, you know, those huge documents. You know, what are the 1,500 actual requirements? You know, what what is, you know, regulation 43BC subsection R? You know, what does that actually mean? And it means, you know, you got to check this little thing of, of code. And, and so that's got to be automated into the platforms um, to make it easier because it's, it's just unrealistic to expect developers to understand it, but they're not paid to care about it. I mean, they're cared to put, put out really high quality software. And that's what you want. That's what you're paying them for. You're paying a lot lawyers. Of you're, pay, you're paying people like Sonia to uh, figure out the compliance problems. And you mm-hmm. want the developers to put out awesome software. But you know what, Anna, Tim, that sounds like your job. You guys got to be <laughs> making products that do that. How, how do you do it? I'm very difficultly avoiding a commercial for the product that I'm associated with right now. <laughs> but the 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 you know there, there's 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 other aspects to this which you haven't really talked about it is is the context of it of of whatever issue that you find and just what the heck is the programmer or developer supposed to do about it. Mm-hmm. So the you know there's any number of security scanning tools dast yast bast blast cast whatever uh and you know and they all come back with this storm of alerts of oh there's these scary things happening developers what what the heck do i do about it the the compliance officer like like my colleague here sonia says what the heck does this mean? Because it's just as challenging for the compliance officers and the security people it is, it is for the developers. Mm-hmm. And you use Bob software that has some magic, um, some you know AI magic that says we determine this is a, a threat level of 563. What does that mean? And some other Joe's software says, oh, that's a threat level of 12. And so, and, and 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 things like that. So, you know, when you discover this, what does it mean, and what is the context of what it is that we're doing? So, you look at things like, where is this in the life cycle? Yeah, it's an open connection to the internet, but this environment is a test environment; it has no connection to the internet whatsoever. So, do we need to panic about this? No. If it's in production, obviously yes, but it should never get there in the first place. Um, but also. You've got this issue. You got to be able to feed it back to the developer in the tools that they want to work with, in a way that they can do something with it. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily have to understand you're not you're not compliant with this particular control of CIS twelve. Like that's you could speak Urdu or you know Phoenician to them it, it, get better result. Here's this thing. Here's what's wrong. Here's how you fix it. Go do it. Right. 
Uh, no, you're, you're, what about you? You know, I, I echo what Tim says, right? You have to have it. It has to be clearly defined back to the developer. Where is there a hole? We, we recently were looking at something ourselves that, that we had found a problem and okay, wait, does it affect this? It does it even matter, right? First you have to evaluate it and it does matter most of the time, right? But you have to have your architects in play. Your architects, I think, you know, as Sonia said, she doesn't even meet with some titles called architect. You don't have somebody at that level. You don't have anybody who can look at the whole product and say whether, you know, what the threat level is because of your product and what it's meant for. Right. And the access that can be to that software to cause a problem. Right. So that's where you really have to have those people that are at the architect level, whether that's their title or not. And they're interfacing with your compliance people and understanding the things that need to be architected in. And you have to have standards. You have to have them codified into your tools. And we're scanning and we choose to use this solution from CloudBees or that solution from Rocket. And we're going to do um, make sure that we meet this threat level that's defined by that product. And then your compliance people review it and si decide whether it's good enough or not. And if it's not, up your game. But automate it, give the reports back, and you better hope those reports, as Tim said, tell the developer what's going on. Because really, these things change all the time. And our developers are good at writing code and making software work. And they can make it work the way we want it to, given the requirements. And that comes back to giving them clear requirements. We cannot ask them to do more than that. We want them to be creative, building whatever it is that they're building. And we give them requirements to fit. And if we're not from leadership and architect and compliance, then we're failing, not them. Yeah, I completely agree. And I... Yeah, I would like to add to that for me. <laughs> I have seen some organizations where compliance will walk into any design meeting and say, here's my list of 200 requirements or regulations or whatever their source is, right, for their input. And mm -hmm. I really would challenge any security or compliance professional, especially in a leadership role, to really think in terms of make it simple, make it accessible. It is not hard for developers to understand, like, data is what we're protecting, right? It's kind of like you're building a fortress around your, your gold as a dragon. And from there, think about in terms of what you're protecting. It's the perimeter. It's who has access to it. It's you know, principles of, of least privilege. And so I feel like approaching the development team to help them, you know, come up to speed and not terrify them with too many details is the right way to go. And it, it just changes the culture. It shifts naturally because they do understand these principles and they do want to deliver quality code that doesn't have these types of issues, both for security and for compliance. So I feel like there's definitely a lot of improvement in this space for training too, you know, really explaining as you go why it matters and then making sure you're working at the right level, you know, finding those leaders in the engineering side to partner with. Yeah. So, Train, well, training well, around, I'm sorry, good, Tim. Well, I was going to, I was going to jump back in, you know, on that, on that standpoint, you know, we're, we're talking about the developers, we're talking about, you know, the, a number of people, but, you know, part of this equation is the leadership of the organization. And you talked about, Alan, you talked about quality and it is quality enough of a, incentive for upper management to really get behind compliance efforts and security efforts. Mm -hmm. And I, I would argue that no, it's not. Uh, typically, it's kind of a nice to have. And I remember a statistic we had from a couple of years ago where managers said they'd rather go fast than secure. I mean, it's like, this was only like three, four years ago. 
That's scary. I hope it's changed. <laughs> but, but the the one of the things in, in talking with some of our customers and prospects in the last uh, six seven months is the concept of a tax. The compliance tax is one one customer mm-hmm. actually used that phrase. And we go back to the, this bank that I mentioned earlier. That's a hundred people year round devoted to doing that. What is your fully burdened cost of that labor to do? zero value add work, right? Compliance is something you have to have, but it doesn't add any value to the organization whatsoever until you don't have it in a big way. Then it takes a lot of value off. But so, but that's kind of funny money because you're going to pay them for anyway. But if you also add in the concept of what should they be doing in terms of technical, technical debt or the opportunity cost of them spending this time on zero value add work versus value add. So you take that fully burdened cost, what are they expected to return? So if your fully burdened cost is $100,000, I think the company wants you to generate more than $100,000 in value in a year. Maybe it's 200,000, maybe it's a total total revenue divided by total employees, something, some figure that's more than what you're paying them for. And you add that into the equation of these 100 people doing this work, that's the labor cost. Then here's what we're missing. Here's the value to the organization we're missing from that. Then you get a much more comprehensive picture of the true cost to the organization and how to justify the efforts of changing culture, changing, doing those meetings that nobody wants to go to and putting in different metrics and things like that. Because you have this, you have a, a measurable impact that you can have on the organization. Because if you take a snapshot at day one and then six months later, you have the people doing compliance, you've got a, a defendable metric to take to senior management and say, this is what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, being able to actually show compliance is, you know, it, it's a little different than being able to actually show security where if you did good, no one knows because that means you didn't have an incident, right? Um, but with compliance, you could say, hey, look, I'm compliant with SOC, I'm compliant with uh, P- you know, PCI, whatever it is, GDPR, whatever you're compliant with. It, it's, it's much, e- you, you could hold that up. Anyway, team, panel, we are, we're, we're over time here. This, I, I knew this was going to be one of those sessions where we were here and over. <coughs> it, for me, it's a very, volatile subject. Um, Sonia, as the true compliance person, not not making a product around compliance or anything like that, but really where the rubber meets the road, I was going to give you the last word today. On today's show, (laughs) um, to leave with our audience in in dealing with compliance and DevOps. Yeah, absolutely. I think just to summarize a lot of what I've heard here today and what I'm trying to really make sure we're influencing embodying um, within Tricentis. It's, you know, that true realization that along with leadership, compliance is absolutely an important part of the team. And when done well and when done from the right approach with whatever tools you're working from, you know, you start with what you have, you identify the challenges and you get better. I mean, a lot of this boils down to knowing your requirements, you know, following a pretty classic dimming cycle, plan, do, check, act. And I feel like 
those tenants really have never changed. And I just hope that more organizations really start to add this, add this back in into the agile de development environments that we all have. So I think it's very achievable and the tools are catching up quickly to get us there. Excellent. Well, Tim, Dan, Anna, Sonia, Mitchell, thanks for being on our panel in this episode of DevOps Unbound. We'll be back, as I, I mentioned, uh, every other week. So in another week, we'll, or another two weeks, we'll be back with a fresh panel and a fresh subject on something DevOps related. But until then, many thanks to Tricentis for your sponsorship. Many thanks for you, to you out there watching this. We appreciate your your time and, and that you set aside to watch this and it, it's we're grateful for it um until then though this is alan schimmel for tech strong tv devops unbound have a great day everyone